coming up on this week's podcast. But certainly the crux of this passage is John 14, 6. It's the verse we all memorize, and it is probably the most controversial thing that Jesus ever says. We don't like it. The world does not like it. The world does not like to think that there is only one way to heaven. We don't like to think this because it's exclusive. Uh, We could say even the word intolerant, but this is what Jesus says. Not my words, they're Jesus' words. Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Justin Hibbard with today's message. I'm always impressed by Carl when he speaks. I've enjoyed hearing him the last two weeks, and he always starts off with art. And I always feel like, oh, I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the uncultured one with my iPad and my iPhone, and you know, all I do is make things sparkle and blow up and everything like that. But Carl has art. And uh, he talks about all the Italian pieces and the great Italian works by Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and all of those. And, and uh, so I figured maybe I'd start trying to be a little more cultured and do, start off with a little artwork today. But I'm not really as much into artwork as I am into architecture. So I figured I'd show my favorite piece of architecture, and that is this piece here. It is called La Sagrada Familia, which means the sacred family. And it is, it's, it's the unfinished chapel. It was started by Antoni Gaudi in the late 1800s. And it was, it's not even completed. He ran out of funding, died in the early 1900s. It ran out of funding. It wasn't until the Olympics in Barcelona, or as we say in Spain, Barcelona. And it was then that um, the, the building got more funding and began reworking and starting building. And they're not, not going to be finished with this until 2026. It is, it is quite the piece of artwork and architecture. It's a neo-Gothic style. It's, it's phenomenal. It's unbelievable if you ever get the chance to go see it. Well, around the doors, there are a number of facades, and these facades demonstrate different parts of Jesus' life. This one, in particular, you can see Jesus cleaning to a pole, and that, that's depicting the crucifixion. And uh, above the door, there's actually a, the crucifixion scene. So a number of these, they have the birth, the crucifixion, I believe the baptism, the ascension, uh, a lot of these, uh, all of these different facades. And behind it, you'll see these words. And what it is is scripture engraved into the wall. It's really neat. And in this particular one is the, is the John passage of Jesus' crucifixion and trial. And if we take a closer look, we see this. Some of the words stand out in gold, whereas the other ones are green. And for those of you who know Catalan, which is the regional language of Barcelona and Catalonia, this says, que es la veritat, which means, what is truth? Those are the words from Pilate in John chapter 18 as He's, he's questioning Jesus. There he's standing, Jesus standing before him, and, said, and, and Pilate asks him, what is truth? That is kind of the muse for the sermon today on John 14, 6, which is the fifth part of the I Am series, which is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that verse could sure enough stand on its own, but I always like to look at the context of Scripture. When did Jesus say this? Why did he say it? What's the conversation going on around it? 
And I, I like to look at the context of Scripture so that we can, we can try to avoid uh, pitfalls of misinterpreting Scripture by just looking at one verse, even though this verse is pretty clear-cut on its own. So let's take a look at John chapter 13, if you would. It is in John chapter 13 that, G, that John records for us Jesus' last supper with his disciples. It's what we just celebrated a moment ago. Only, if you recall, when, we, when, I, when I preached on John 6, I am the bread of life, I mentioned to you that John actually does not record Jesus passing the bread or the wine, which is very interesting, because all the other gospel writers do. And in fact, in when I was talking about John 6, the, the Catholic idea is that they take Jesus' words that say, I, uh, I am the bread of life, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And John, it, what's very interesting is the Catholic Church preaches the transubstantiation, that we actually literally eat Jesus' flesh and blood during communion. But then, I, if you recall, I said, I, I don't, I, one of the reasons I don't agree with that is because John doesn't even record the bread and the cup in John chapter 13. If it were so important, you would think he would have at least recorded that, but he doesn't. So what does he record? He records Jesus washing the disciples' feet and teaching them about being servants. He predicts uh, Judas' betrayal and then Peter's denial. And let's take a look there at the end of this chapter in verse 37. It's in verse 37 that Jesus is talking to Peter, or Peter's talking to Jesus. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And because that's the end of the chapter, what do we generally do? Close the book, right? We've done reading our devotionals for the day. We've read our chapter, and that's it. And we often walk away, and we forget everything because we just read that that verse. That's the end of the chapter. You know, those chapter marks are helpful for us at times, and sometimes there are hindrances into understanding Scripture. Scripture is inspired. The chapter marks and verse markings aren't. They're just helpful for us. And sometimes they're more of a hindrance than a help. If you recall during the Joshua series, when I spoke on Joshua chapter 5 and the commander of the Lord's army visiting Joshua, you'll recall that in, it ends, chapter 5 ends with the, the, the commander of the Lord's army stands before Joshua and says, take off your sandals, you're staying on holy ground, that's the end of the chapter. And so oftentimes people say, well, that's an angel or that's something, some divine character, most likely an angel. But then the first words in chapter 6 or as then the Lord said to Joshua, see the land that I am giving you. And then he gives them war plans on how to conquer Jericho. So what's interesting is that if we take away that chapter mark of chapter 6 in Joshua, we probably will come up with a very different type of interpretation. That the very one standing before Joshua, the captain of the Lord's army, is none other but the Lord himself. And so in the same case... Chapter 14 of John is kind of put at a very bad place because right after Peter or Jesus tells Peter, you're going to disown me three times, he says these words in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Right after Jesus tells them troubling words, troubling news, he comforts them. 
And that's the first part of this section of John 14. Jesus comforts his disciples by assuring them of their place in heaven. A lot of bad things are going to happen in the next couple of days. That night, Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be brought to trial. He's going to be arrested. The next day, he's going, to be, he's going to be tried before the Sanhedrin, the high priest. He's going to be tried before Pilate. Everyone's going to want Jesus crucified. He's going to be crucified. The disciples are going to run. They're going to hide. They're going to be afraid. They're not going to have the courage that Jesus told them to have. They're, they're running away. They're in hiding. And then on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead. The disciples are confused, perplexed. Then they see Jesus. 40 days, they get to hang out with Jesus. And then suddenly he's gone. And now they're left kind of scratching their heads. And what do we do now? And Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is going to be interrupted, the first one, by Thomas. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And this is what prompts Jesus to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you him and have seen him. Philip will be the second one to interrupt Jesus and ask him this, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Here he wants to see the Father. I kind of, I kind of picture Moses here, Moses saying, God, let me see your face. And Philip's like, okay, we see you, let's see your Father. And Jesus says this to him, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The second part of this passage, Jesus uh, is talking to them about the incarnation. He is the incarnation of the Father. We celebrate this during Christmas, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He is Emmanuel. And Jesus comforts his disciples by telling them of his relationship with his Father. He has all authority. His Father is in him. He is in his Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. There's no need to see Jesus and the Father. You've seen, them. You've seen the Father in Jesus. And so we, we begin to see what Jesus is crafting here as he tells us about this triune relationship with God. In verse 15, he continues, "'If you love me, keep my commandments.'" And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. The word that's used here for know is you have a relationship with him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Well, what a remarkable passage this is in John 14 to understand the Trinity. Because Jesus then tells them about his presence that he will continue to have with them even after he is gone into heaven. They will receive the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and he comforts his disciples by assuring them that he will be with them. 
And it begins to unravel for us the understanding of this, this difficult relationship, this tough theological point of the triune God, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that he's telling them, hey, not only will, will I be alive, but because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that will indwell within you and will continue to teach you about me, you will have God inside of you, God with you at all times. But certainly the crux of this passage is John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the verse we all memorize, and it is probably the most controversial thing that Jesus ever says on earth. We don't like it. The, the world does not like it. The world does not like to think that there is only one way to heaven. We don't like to think of this because it's exclusive. Uh, we could say even the word intolerant, but this is what Jesus says. Not my words, they're Jesus' words. It was interesting, uh, I think it was last year, I was watching this guy play, Tim Tebow, for Florida Gators. And, uh, any, and if you know anything about football, college football, in the last few years, Tim Tebow was the quintessential football player. Quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner in 2007, won quarterback of the year, one year, won national football player of the year. I mean, he was everything. He was a dual threat. He could run, he could throw, and now he's stuck on a lame team named Denver Broncos. But that's okay. (laughs) Buried on the bench somewhere until they realize that the secret to them winning is to actually play Tim Tebow. Maybe he'll get traded the Ravens before that. (laughs) Anyways, Tim Tebow was a fantastic player. I was watching this. It was one of his final games. And the commentators were eating him up in a good way. They were like, everything. They could not stop talking about Tim Tebow. Even when the, the Gators' defense was on the field, they, they just kept talking about Tim Tebow and how awesome he was. Every throw, they broke it down. And look at this specimen. He is awesome, right? And, and, and they were just eating him up. And uh, Tim Tebow is a Christian. He's a son of a missionary. He's born, born in, Phil, in the Philippines. And he, pretty typically every game, wore in his eye paint, he put a Bible verse in there. I don't know if you remember that. And every, every week it was a different verse. That night that I was watching, it was this verse, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It took the commentators a, a little while to figure out what it was that he had written there. Heb 12, 12, I, we don't know. We'll figure it out, you know. <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they came back later on, and they were so smitten by Tim Tebow that they said, if Tim Tebow can wear, oh, they said, by the way, we figured out the verse. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And if T- Tim Tebow wears it, we owe it to him to read it. I thought, this ought to be interesting. So there on national t- television, he began to read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And he stopped. And I was like, I, I know that's not 1 and 2. He left out fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the glory set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He missed that most important part. How do we run with perseverance? We run by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And, and he talked about Hebrews, he read Hebrews 12, 1. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, that's Hebrews 12 for you. And that's Tim Tebow, the greatest football player ever, you know. But why did he leave it out? I could, I could just imagine the conversation that went on in the producer's booth as to whether or not to read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Well, Tim Tebow's wearing it. We should read it, right? And so they look over it, and they're like, oh, yeah, look at the sports analogy here, running with perseverance and throwing off everything. Look, there's some morality here. Yeah, we need to hear about morality, and this is great. 
Oh, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We'll just skip that part, right? Because we don't want to be intolerant. We don't want to offend people by this. And, and no one's really going to know if he reads Hebrews 12.1 instead of Hebrews 12.1 and 2. I thought that was kind of sneaky, but that's so typical of our society and our culture, isn't it? We're not an atheistic culture. We love to say things like, God bless America. Uh, in God we trust, one nation under God. We love this idea of God, right? This ethereal God of sorts that's there. And, and one theological point is that he always helps America, right? That's our, that's our God. And that he's into doing good things. He wants us to be good and help each other. But we don't get into specifics. We don't want to offend people. We want to, we could talk about God because, yeah, everyone believes in God, I guess, it's, except for atheists. But but, you know, the Muslims and the Jewish people. And what about the Buddhists and the Hindus? Oh, the, we just say God. And we have this understanding of God. We're a very spiritual nation, but not a very specific nation when it comes to God. And so what do we do? We leave out Jesus. We leave out the point. And, you know, you think about it. Jesus talks about three things. He talks about the Father. He talks about the Son himself. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, the world loves the Father, love this idea of God the Creator. We don't necessarily call Him the Father, we just call Him God. And we love this idea as well, this spiritual idea that God is within us, and somehow we just look inside of ourselves and we find God. But what do we miss out on? We, well, we leave out Jesus. And Jesus says, well, the only way you're getting the Father is through me, and the only way you're getting the Spirit is through me. And that's the most important part of that whole passage in John 14. To understand the Father, to have that relationship with the Father, and have the Spirit inside of you, you need Jesus. But our world leaves him out, because it's just a lot neater that way. Take a look at this segment from Oprah. I'm guessing by the clothes and the hair, this was done sometime in the 80s. A panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us. That we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other. That all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be then a human being and, and many ways no but many paths many to what you call god that and her crazy. path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it god along the way or not and i guess the danger that could be on that i mean it it sounds great on the onset but if you really look at both sides I there could possibly be just one way what what about jesus what about jesus you say there isn't only one way 
There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because the millions you of people say in the world. Isn't. There couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet, where are you some, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus, you cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay. Okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion, Oprah. I can't get into a religious argument with you. John I love that. She brings up religion and then says, I can't get into a religious argument with you. <laughs> but, you know, that that's such a... That, that whole blow-up conversation, whatever you want to call it, is so typical and kind of a quintessential defining piece of our society through the theologian known as Oprah. And uh, she brings up a number of arguments, and actually you can hear some of the arguments in the, in the background there, uh, and they're so typical of this world. And some of those arguments, like the first one here, Jesus' purpose is to have us do good. She says, well, what if you, you, you know, arrive at the same place someone else arrives and you're following Jesus' teaching. Well, is that what Jesus is teaching? Is he teaching us to be good men and women? I don't think so. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says we should never say that God is here to, to help us become just good men. We're supposed to be little Christ. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus himself. Throughout the Bible, he tells us to believe on him to remain in him. You know, that's been the central theme of these I am statements. Every time it's remain in me. And when, and when he says, I am the bread of life, remain in me. I am the vine, remain in me. I am the door, remain with me. I am the good shepherd, remain in my pen. You know, these ideas that we need to remain with God, remain with Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Or what about the other one? There can't possibly be one way to God, right? That's the popular one. Because if there is only one way to God, suddenly we're being very exclusive. And suddenly there's no other way except that one way. And that brings up a whole lot of questions that we don't have time to go into today. But I love what that woman said. Hey, just because you think there's one way doesn't mean there's one way. Have you ever tried to play chess with a kid who doesn't know how to play chess? It is the most frustrating thing because every move he's like, he, he's making up moves as you go. So you start off, you move your, your knight out two spaces and over one, or you, maybe you start off with your pawn or whatever. And he's like, he's making pieces go everywhere, and you're saying, what are you doing? He's like, this is the rule. This is how, this piece can go here. And then later on, he takes, one, he takes your queen, and you're like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, well, this piece can do this. And you're like, well, I didn't know that. He's like, well, it's the rule, right? And over and over, because he has made up these rules as he goes along, as to how chess is supposed to be played. But you know the rules. And there are rules to play the game. And in the Bible, there are rules. They're called spiritual laws. Just like gravity is a law, there are spiritual laws. All men have fallen, or have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. These are spiritual laws. They must be followed. And therefore, that makes Jesus the legitimate source of teaching on this matter. 
So we can't say, well, there are many ways, with, because when we're doing that, we're ignoring laws like as fundamental as gravity, or that one plus one equals two. Here's my favorite one, though. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it to be true. I mean, is there anything else so obnoxiously dumb about that? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand how people can say that. And if anyone ever says that to you, you should, say, you should stop and say, I, I appreciate your comment, but what if I believe one plus one equals three? What are they going to say to you? Well, no, 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 that, that can't be. One plus one equals two, and that's the truth. Well, no, 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 you just said that if I believe it to be true, it can be true. So therefore, if I believe one plus one equals three, therefore it can be true, according to me. Well, no, no, that's not what I meant. So you want to separate religion from other disciplines. You want to take math and you say, well, there is truth in that, but you and religion, we want to just put it over here and say, no, it's whatever you want it to be. That's not the way the world works. We don't have categories of truth. It's either truth or it's not truth. It's either right or it's wrong. It's not, it's not well, in this category, it's something is true, but this one really has no truth. And what are we doing? We are subjectifying the truth. Suddenly, we are becoming polytheists, making polytheists blush, because we have created gods for every single person, has their own god, and it's defined by how they think God should operate. I had a chance when I was in college to study at Harvard University for a summer up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You ever go there, you will see this emblem everywhere. It's on their doors, it's on their gates, it's on their walls, it's everywhere. It was on my blanket that they gave me. It was everywhere. And it's veritas. And if you remember the first word that we saw there, que es la veritat, which is catalan, this one is veritas, is Latin for the same word, truth. Because Harvard, along with Yale and Brown and Princeton and all these other schools, Cornell, these Ivy League schools were founded to discover and understand what truth was. And it didn't matter if they were in religion classes or math classes, it still applied. But somehow, when I was there at least, it seemed like truth was, there was objective truth in the science department, in the math department, all of these things, but we leave religion to the school of divinity. And we don't pursue truth there. The reason why people say things like, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's true if you believe it, is because they don't really believe there is a personal and true God. They don't believe that God is truth. So in one sense, though we are not an atheistic country, in another sense, we are being atheistic by saying things like, it doesn't matter if you believe something, it's true if you believe it, because there's no truth in that statement. It makes absolutely no sense. And so suddenly we have traded the desire to be truth, to find truth, to understand what truth is. We have fallen into our hedonistic pleasures and our desires to kind of steer clear of the controversial statements and be all-inclusive that we find ourselves like Pilate, who himself was subject to the hedonism of the Roman Empire and of the, of the self-pleasures of the day, and, had to, and he stood in front of Jesus, the truth, and said, ¿Qué es la veritas? What is truth? What is truth? I don't know about you, but whenever I start talking about society, I get kind of worked up, and you know, you, you, get, you get so frustrated at Oprah and at some of these other ones, and, but there's nothing that you can do, so it's even more frustrating. You know, you just want to go home and blog something or something like that, you know. And I remember I, I was in a seminar in Os Guinness, uh, was um, teaching. 
Nazganus is a, a social critic, a Christian. I wouldn't say a theologian as much as a social, as much as a, a social critic, a writer, um, I think a professor, uh, very well known. Um, and Osginus is, is telling us about the, the public square and all of the kind of what the public square thinks and the, how they define truth and all of this. And afterwards, so is there any hope for, for us believers? And I saw a guy just shaking his head. He has his head down. It was like this cloud of gloom like came over the whole room and we were like, we're doomed. We, there's no hope for us or anything like that. But there is hope. And I, wanna, I want us to take a look at just a few points this morning as we end this talk on Jesus the way, the truth, and the life with John 14. How do we live out John 14? I think the first thing we can do is to be a calm source of reason and logic. You know, so many people say, well, you leave your brains out before you go to church. Well, that's not true at all. There's truth in the gospel. There's truth to be found. There's reason. There is logic to be understood. And so we must be a calm, and a calm source of reason and logic that can talk to people because sometimes things get heated when we talk about something so personal as religious beliefs. But the reality is that you cannot change anyone's mind. And I think that's the first thing you have to realize. We can't change anyone's mind. It's not our prerogative to change minds, but it is our prerogative to speak truth. And so when someone says, you know, I believe this or I believe that, you can say, well, listen, this is what I believe and here's why. Let's have a conversation together. Let's go out for a cup of coffee. Who knows what will be the fruit of that calm sense of reason and logic. When John wrote his gospel, he started off with that very way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was with God in the beginning. By, thing, by him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was light, and that light was the life of men. Well, what is the word he uses here for word? He uses the Greek word logos, which means word, it means oration, it means reason, it means logic, it means all these things. It's the, the root fundamental understanding. And the Greeks would have understood that. And John is making a point here. This is the way it was in the beginning. And constantly he's bringing up this idea of truth over and over again. And there's something about truth that cannot be disproved. We start off with fundamentals like one plus one equals two. It cannot be disproved. And it's from there that we get to complicated equations like negative b plus or minus the square root of b squared and minus 4ac over 2a. We understand that. I failed calculus, by the way. And... uh, (laughs) I just remember that for some reason. <laughs> One day I was, I was driving down the road. And I, this was way after I graduated college. And I started saying, sine, cosine, cosine, sine, cosine, cosine, sine, sine, sine. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> it's from uh, our teacher, Miss Hamrick, who engraved that into our minds. <laughs> Anyways, nonetheless, but we get to those complicated facts from the basics. One plus one equals two. We can ask questions like, well, what about the non-believer who lives in the foreign country who never gets to hear the gospel? What happens to their soul? Well, we have to begin at a certain spot, and that is that Jesus is the truth. And from there, we can ask the difficult questions. I think the second thing for us to understand is that we need to rest in the promises, the hope that Jesus gives us in John Chapter 14, they're filled with so many promises. Do not be discouraged. If you believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, 
that where I am, there you may also be. That is a promise of heaven. That is a promise of eternal life. That is a promise that we can hold on to. Also, his conversation about you, you, whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. That I, I have an ear with the Father. We have this relationship with God, the creator of all things. And that the Holy Spirit indwells with us. These are awesome promises for the believer. But they're only obtainable through belief in the Lord Jesus. And the last thing is to know that we have eternal life. I think we, we often don't understand what eternal life is. We, we have this understanding that I live out, you know, 60, 70, 80, who knows, 100, whatever years here on earth, and afterwards I die, and then I have eternal life. And that's not what Jesus says. That's not how Jesus defines eternal life. In John 17, 3, Jesus says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when does eternal life begin? Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins the moment you believe. So there are a number of pe- people in the world that teach, teach us and say things about Christians like, you know, you, you're missing out on so much of life. You're missing out on this and that because you're holding, you're clinging to this religion as uh, Jesse, the, Jesse the Body Ventura, the governor of uh, Minnesota, the ex-governor of Minnesota said, that religion's just a crutch for weak people and all of this stuff. And they say this stuff to us. But what's the truth? The truth is we have life. We have eternal life because Jesus said, I've come to give life and give it to its full. So we can rest in this identity with Christ, this identity that we have eternal life and the promises that we have, the promises of the hope of the eternal, the promises of living with God and living with peace with God, of living with the Spirit and dwelling with us. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching, focused on the Jewish roots of the faith, and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. Yeah.